welcome to another episode of La Ventanita. I'm your host, Carlos Frias, the Miami Herald food editor, with my co-host, Amy Reyes. Hi. You're coming to us live from Michigan. Yeah, this is the Michigan outpost of La Ventanita. Don't you love that that things have changed in certain ways where we can, like, remote work mm-hmm. allows us to still be able to do our jobs. Yet do and, it someplace else. And just do it someplace else. Yep. And I, I love that. I love that. I will say this. The one thing I, I'm I'm really, really suffering right now because I didn't bring my coffee. And I'll, oh. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm drinking, like, oh, a, no. American coffee, and I'm not good at making American coffee, so... I even tried to put American coffee in the cafetera. I brought a coffee to the cafetera. <laughs> <laughs> it don't work like that. Doesn't work. Those two. The only American Latin fusion that works in that house is you and your husband. That's yeah, it. me and my husband. That's, 100%. I was like, it. maybe my machine is bad. And then I was like, let me try the, the cafetera. I'm just going to have to bring some some of my um, Sedanos coffee next time I come up here. I was going to say because you're you're like in you're in the in the in whites country, so you have yeah, I, access to yes. you have access to lots of good like uh, uh, roasted whole bean, uh, ethically sourced <laughs> coffee though. One hundred percent. That's yeah. that's the kind of coffee, and I, like I don't like that kind of coffee. I like I honestly I just like I just like the Cuban coffee that they sell in a brick that like you can just. Mm-hmm. Pop it on your counter and like you can pile it up in the cabinet. That's my kind of coffee. And That's I right. know that you have opinions about that. Like you, no, you think no. that I need to upgrade, but like no, I but really- I also have I also have the 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 cocaine bricks of coffee in my house too. <laughs> like the like la llave. So la llave goes on sale at Sedanos periodically. It'll be like ten for two dollars, like some ridiculous <laughs> number. And my dad, God rest his soul, when my dad was alive, he'd see that and he'd just immediately start hoarding uh-huh. coffee. Like like there was a hurricane coming. Yeah, it was Black Friday. at uh, mm-hmm. for, It was Black Friday for sure. So I, like literally, I had some piled in for uh, well over two years that my dad had bought. And, you well, know, it's it's that cu- it doesn't Cuban expire, dark roast. So. No, it's that Cuban dark roast. Like you can't make it worse. You know, it's like. <laughs> It's 100% like you can't make it worse. And I am no. acu- I'm accustomed to my particular brand of bad. Yeah. You know, it's like it's like in, in the Dominican Republic, they say nuestro vino es amargo, pero nuestro vino. And so right. that's, that's exactly. how I feel about my coffee. It's totally true. Uh, um, speaking of the Midwest, you were yes. in the Midwest this weekend. How did I it was- go? <laughs> <laughs> I had a pretty big weekend in the Midwest happen? this week. I had a couple. I had a pretty big weekend. Um, so I went up for the uh, I went up. I went up to Chicago to propose to my girlfriend of a lo- of of eight years, and Aww. and it coincided with the James Beard Awards, and I was like, perfect, great cover. My nephew just moved up there, and I was like, great cover to just, uh, and and honestly, just it it was like I I knew going in that if she said yes, I knew going into that ceremony like everything was gonna be fine. If if I won, if I lost, it was fine. Everything was great. Uh, she said yes, and I was already at ease. And then, um, and then you know, they handed this out the awards. Been a really disastrous weekend for oh, you. hundred <laughs> percent. You really put your, you put I, it all out there this weekend. You were like, uh, I'm gonna propose, and I'm gonna go to an awards ceremony where I may or may not win. So you could have come back, broken up with your girlfriend, and with no James Beard Award. You think Those come the- back? I would have been like under one of those Chicago bridges. Just you would have been in Lake Michigan with like a with like a Mad Dog Mad Dog forty forty. You know, just like uh, drinking myself into a stupor. 
So well, uh, but I am I'm so happy for you. <laughs> I'm happy that everything worked out the way you had planned it. Yes, everything did work out great. We got some great pictures to remember. Uh, the the winning winning a second James Beard was uh, was ridiculous. It was a total icing on the cake that I did not expect. And um, and it was no. It and was you really took advantage nice. of the moment too. You you had a, a your speech was really powerful. It was a really nice moment for you where you you talked about your father and gun control and and you used the platform to really amplify the message of um, something needs to change in America with regards to our obsession with guns. I feel like it's, I I feel like that's one of those issues we don't, we don't think about other than react to when we see it on the news, you know, but, but it affects so many of us that, that I'm hoping that like folks who might've heard that I obviously didn't plan that. I didn't plan that speech. I didn't plan to win. So I didn't plan a speech of any kind, but I hope that folks who heard that when they come across this issue in their daily lives, stop to think about it a little bit rather than just react uh, because of whatever their party platform might be or whether, you know, what their uh, emotional connection to it might be, you know, otherwise not having firsthand experience, but folks who have some experience when they come across this issue, I hope that maybe they'll remember things like that, things that people have been talking about and, and it'll make like a little bit of a difference when it comes to them being asked the question, what can we do? And then being receptive to making some kind of changes that will make us all safer. So that's yeah, because I, I feel like I feel like the the answer, nothing is a lot of what we're getting. You know yeah. what I'm saying? So yeah. like it, it yeah. is it, it requires a lot more thought. And I don't think a lot of people want to put a whole bunch of thought into it. Right. So I hope I hope it'll just allow them to just think about it for another 10 seconds. And maybe it'll it'll, uh, you know, uh, it'll lead to. Because it really, it's one of those things that we all have to decide. Like the majority of us, the ma- the the overwhelming majority majority of us have to decide that it's important enough. And maybe if if um, people have been touched in a certain way, um, even if it's not firsthand, that they'll that they'll uh, consider it and, and and realize that it's important to do. So, so anyway, yes, memorable weekend. And uh, well, and, you picked a great weekend to take off because uh, Miami had some big news. <laughs> yeah, you guys, you guys weren't busy at all, right? <laughs> we weren't, busy at, weren't busy at all. <laughs> yeah, so Connie had to pick up your slack, and she had to cover yeah. the Michelin announcements for us. Um, and so, thanks to Connie for covering for for posting the story on Friday, and then post or Thursday, and then posting the subsequent stories because we went real hard for Michelin. Yeah, man, you guys, like you had like where to find them, how much it cost to eat there, uh, which places should have gotten Michelin stars. Like you guys went all out, which you should have. I mean, it's people really cared about that. The nerds care. It's just been my experience, Carlos, just in all of the years we've been covering, um, we've been covering restaurants together. Anytime you mention Michelin in a headline, the readers are very, very interested. And so like I knew we all knew out the gate that this was like a huge deal. And you sniffed out the um, you you were really interested in sniffing out the hows and the whys right out the gate, too, and figuring out who was paying for what and how is this how is this thing being brought to us? And, and you know, under what you know, who's cus- whose custody is this, um, this guide, right. <laughs> right. Know? So like, what does it mean for us? And, um, is this some pay to play thing? Like, I, I think that you, you were real curious about that aspect of it. And now that we have it, I think what we really just need to do is just figure out like, okay, you know, it, it does bring a certain level of, of, of prestige and a certain level of, um, you know, ranking to our, um, 
our neck of the woods. And I have to say, you know, as I'm, I'm hanging out in Michigan in a very touristy spot and I'm looking for places to eat and every place I go, I'm, I'm like, I'm very spoiled. Like even as a person who lives in Kendall, we have a, access to a lot of really good restaurants in Miami. And so, so Buddy's, like, Buddy's Pizza would not be online oh no, for Michigan but, Star, you don't think? <laughs> no, Buddy's is in, 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 in Eastern Michigan. It's in Detroit. I'm oh, okay. in Western Michigan over by Lake Michigan. So like, it's a whole different, it's a whole different ballpark here. Like I just, I went to a taco place yesterday and it it was good. You ate the tacos. I ate the, yeah, it was good, you know, but then I think. Elaborate on that. What does that mean? It was good, but. It but, was good. And, it was good, but it was like, like, it was one of those places where I was like, okay, in Miami, this would be pretty ubiquitous. Like, this is like, you know, it's this is pretty, I, I'd be ordering this from Uber Eats, but it was a whole experience here. Right, right, You right, know what I'm saying? Right. And I'm not trying to diss the place. The place was great and it was cute. And they had this one taco that was really good. That was like a, it was like a, an elevated version of a Taco Bell taco. They called it the Gringo Bell. And I really enjoyed it. <laughs> I think <laughs> it that's, I think that's an oxy, or not an oxymoron. I think that's a, a, a what it's redundant. It's yeah, it is. It, the Gringo Bell. <laughs> the Gringo Bell. It was a good taco. It was a good taco. And, you know, they. but I was just thinking to myself, we drove from Douglas, Michigan to Holland, which was like a half an hour to get to this little taco place. And to get like, some Uber I, Eats tacos. I could have Uber Eats this in my <laughs> like, But not, I'm not I'm not dissing that place. The place was no, cute. No, it was really nice. But like I said, we're spoiled. Yeah. Anyway. Uh, you know what? I, I think that some of the things that we had kind of the, the things that outline to talk about, you know, mission stars and Miami's food and everything else. I feel like I want to talk with it. With our guest. Uh, yeah, with our guest about it. So so let's let me just kind of intro him here. Uh, you know, our guest today is Michael Schwartz. Um, Michael did one of the hardest things a restaurant owner could ever do. Uh, he established a restaurant that everybody loved, that won every award, and then he totally changed it uh, after 15 years. But that's kind of uh, the way Michael has done it for the 25 plus years he's been in Miami. He's always gone against the grain. Classic story of going into an unproven neighborhood and helping make that neighborhood cool. Um, he did it with, get this, Big Pink on South Beach in the 90s. Like he was the opening chef with that. He, he conceived of that idea with Miles Chefetz, the guy that owns uh, Prime 112. Uh, he did it with Michael's Genuine Food and Drink, you know, most notably in the mid-2000s. In the design district, when the design district was not like all Prada, you know, big glitzy Prada stores yet, it was still like you know parked near the streetlight. Um, <laughs> and he did it again with Harry's Pizzeria at the edge of Midtown. After that, uh, Midtown um, Design District, and and that Harry's is not there anymore. I kind of uh, so I, I want to ask him about that. Uh, but we'll ask him about making it through COVID. He pivoted more times than anybody that I've seen to like doing like uh, taking like. A, almost like market food that you could pick up. Uh, and he actually got COVID and lost his sense of taste, which will, I imagine for a, for a chef, that's like a surgeon not being able to use his hands. Right. Um, so we'll talk to him about that, about the role his kids play. Like his kids plays, like Harry's is named after one of his kids. Uh, Ella's was named after another one. Like uh, Lulu is, is also involved in the food as well. Uh, they have like matching tattoos. Um, so I want to ask him about that, and maybe I'll ask him about the pretty sweet cars I always see him driving, Mr. Mr. Porsche and Mr. Lexus. So welcome, Michael. We're, we're having trouble hearing your audio. We'll let Pierre figure it out, and then we'll we'll banter a little bit, and then we'll let we'll get, we'll get we'll get we'll get Michael sorted out. It's all good. So I was actually before he comes back, because um, I was going to ask you this when he was on too, but like, all right, so you saw the eleven names. Which I one did. of the eleven what is your is your favorite place? Because I'm sure you haven't eaten at all of them, but um, 
I think oh. I've eaten at all of them. I've eaten you have? Okay. Yeah. I was yeah. going to say that that's a lot uh, of expensive eating. So I just wanted to yes. I was like, well, maybe he has it. Maybe he has. But what, which is your favorite? Well, I haven't eaten it at, uh, oh, you mean of the ones that didn't get, that didn't no, get No, the ones that did, the, the ones that, uh, the ones that got starred, which ones, which is your favorite? Oh, I thought you meant of the ones that didn't get stars, which one I thought. No, no, no. Not the big gourmand. Cause I know, I know we've, you, you've eaten at all those places. Cause the big gourmand, I feel like that's kind of where we live. You know, like right. I feel like those are the the restaurants that are kind of more in our our financial wheelhouse. But oh, I think we can hear him now. Can you hear me now? Yes. yes. Yeah. Yay. You know, nothing solves a problem like turn it off and turn it back on. That's right. 100%. <laughs> it's amazing. Is that what? Well, listen. What I was saying was, thank you for having me, Amy. Nice to meet you. Um, me too. But I really feel like Carlos on the heels of this weekend that I should be interviewing you. Oh, these amazing uh, accomplishments, not only the Beard Award, and I didn't know that you got engaged, but wasn't there some uh, award for society for features journalism? Look at this guy doing his homework. Oh, well, you no. know, I did the Look homework, homework. And I went you. on your feed and I, I mean, I could do an interview with you right now if that would be OK. No, you know, I could ask you about the locals guide to dining in the 305 and why Michael's Genuine's not in it. You oh, wow. Like this. Listen to him. Listen to you him. Know, but no, in all honesty, I'm really happy to be with you guys. I love having conversations with you all the time. And uh, yeah, man. I'm stoked. But congratulations, though, man. And so has anybody in South Florida won two Beard Awards? I don't think in his so. his category, I don't think anybody don't think besides so. him has won one Beard Award, have they? Well, I think um, so. Lynn Farmer, you know, Lynn? Yeah. Yeah. Lynn's Lynn been won a Beard Award many he years He won a ago. Beard and he's been nominated twice. Right. Yeah. So, well, congratulations. Thank though, you, man. Really. I appreciate And I that. do, all kidding aside, I do appreciate reading your stuff and your story and your connection with the community and what you, you know, what you, I think what you shine a light on in terms of a national uh, stage, you know, and, and, and how people perceive Miami and, uh, and how that is different than what the real Miami. Cool, so, right on, man. I appreciate that. I appreciate that. But you know what? All anything that that I do is really just a reflection of like how many cool places and how many uh, innovative and smart and and talented chefs like yourself are we have here. So it, it really is like fishing, shooting fish in a barrel. It's yeah. Just go well, go to any part well. of town. Go to any part of town. Pick any spot and talk to them long enough, and guaranteed you're gonna find like great stories and and really great food. So Good. yeah, um, we are spoiled. Totally. So, so get this. So, so you got, um, you got, uh, uh, recognized by the Michelin guide, yes. which I think is fantastic because on top of everything, Michael's genuine has been such an, uh, uh, such a, a beacon. Like it was, it was really, I mean, you were the first, you, you were the first to win best chef in the South, I think, or, or it had happened for many years before that. Yeah. Right? I think Michelle won it. Michelle won it. I'm sorry. And then I won it. And I think. I don't. I, I'm not sure of the chronology. I think right. before that, Norman might have won it a long, right. long time ago. Right. It was like generations, like of, yeah. of like right, like guys that worked for that guy, you know, that kind yeah. of thing. Yeah, and we were, you know, I was hopeful. You know, I was a semifinalist nominee uh, this year for Outstanding Chef, which was, you know, sort of a surprise and a great honor. And you know, that whole thing, just happy to be nominated. But you know, as well as I do, once you're nominated. You want to win. You want to win. Kind of want to win. Kind of want to win. You could downplay it. You did. I didn't prepare a speech because I didn't think I was going to win. But, you know, you want to win. Yeah. Uh, and so maybe next year and 
who knows for me, uh, happy to be nominated. My Beard Award was 2010. So, you know, it's been a while. Yeah, and, and that's and I thought that that again, the, going back to the Michelin uh, recognizing a restaurant because you, I mean, you totally, you, it's basically like you opened a new restaurant, right? In yeah, like, so much about Michaels is so different now. <laughs> so and, I have a lot of thoughts about that. I, yeah. I'll tell you, as it relates to the Michelin, you know, I've been in Miami, like you said, almost thirty years. Right. You know, and so a lot of my career—that's not my whole career because I'm old. <laughs> but a lot of my career was just really not even thinking about or acknowledging Michelin and what it meant. Um, it didn't motivate me. It didn't drive me. Um, and so when it was announced here, you know, I, I sort of started paying attention a little bit to it. Mm -hmm. But I think, um, you know, so it was interesting, interesting process for me and learning, you know, what they're what their sort of criteria is and you know to be recognized at all is amazing so we're super proud of that they did come before the renovation which we hope that you know uh they'll come again and it'll be reflected in the next um in the next round but regardless you know we, we were just happy to be there again yeah and uh it's been a it's been a good ride yeah it's it's interesting because i i think people forget like it's not like uh it's not an awards committee it's a restaurant guide. Like they are yep. trying right. to sell guides to people. They want them to go on their website. They want them to buy the physical guides. And like that is a part of it. Like they definitely yep. like you can't say we're announcing a guide in Miami and there's only two restaurants in it. Like you have right. to right. find a way to like. And and frankly, I think that you couldn't do that in every city because Miami has so many places that you could put just mention. And then you could elevate some to like the really good ones to Bib Gourmand. And then you well, start elevating I was like, further to stars and two stars and everything. Correct. That's why I felt bad for the, the city of Tampa. Because I was like, dang, Tampa, Tampa y'all spent a whole bunch of money. <laughs> y'all spent a whole bunch of money. And they only got four um, Bib Gourmands and no stars. You know, yeah. so it was just it was kind of one of those things. Well, I guess, you know, it's encouraging them to, to continue, you know, right pushing forward but like it, well, it seems well, to me like about that think about it. it's 150 thousand dollars they spent i think that's like the ballpark number that they haven't come out and said for let's say they let's say per restaurant you know uh about 30 30 something thousand per restaurant to do advertising and plus so now you get people in and now right. those people like who might have not gone to that part of town now explore a little bit in that part of town like i went to one of the restaurants that was um i, I was in tampa this week uh just um, just for a couple of days. And we went to Yuleli, um, which is uh, one of the restaurants that had like a, uh, um, recommended. Yeah. It was a recommended spot. And right in that little town, there's this beautiful river walk that they built that I had never been to. And I have family in Tampa. I've gone to Tampa over the years. I had never been to that river walk right around that river walk. There's a, there's a local coffee roaster. There is, um, there's a new brewery. There's several breweries, um, there's like these beautiful little houses that are being redone. It was like this whole neighborhood that's coming to life. So maybe what that really does, it just helps market a city. You know? yeah. and, I, and I think that's a good thing. I yeah, that's, that's probably what, that's what they're going for, you know, for sure. Yeah. yeah and I think that Tampa should be proud and happy. You know, I think it's yeah. great for the state and uh, it's exciting. You know, it really Certainly is it's something to talk about and write about and bitch about. And, you know, we're all good at that. <laughs> like yeah, if we, our most, it, we wouldn't i wouldn't have a job if it wasn't if, if it wasn't our, our most controversial story was carlos's predictions 
Yes. Oh, I know. I saw. People I saw. got so mad. Michael. So heated. So heated. So heated over that. And I was just like, hey, let's have some fun with this. What places could be on it? <laughs> like, uh, and I, I want to say like, um, I, I want to say all three of your spots, I, I mentioned in one way or another, because I really felt like they were, you know, like that, yeah, Amara and, and, and Harry's, you know. Yeah. Um, but, but I was like, let's have some fun. And people were like, I've been to 31 Michelin restaurants and how dare yeah, you? How dare you? Yeah. And then guess what? I was so right. How many yep. of the places that I met, like, I want to say that every single place I mentioned was in some way uh, highlighted, if not every single, like, like 90% of them. I was interested to see how they were going to come out, right? Yeah. Were they going to be true to, you know, what they do, particularly in Europe, which is very, very high standard? Mm-hmm. Or were they going to sort of bell curve it for, you know, or dumb it down for Miami? And I think that they were pretty true. To their uh, to their criteria and their mission, and it's amazing that they're still as relevant as they are. You know, if you think about a guidebook, you know, it's like uh, Zagat. Right. Remember Paper? that? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. yeah, I mean, Zagat was everything twenty years ago. I had a Zagat for every town that I planned to be in. Of course, right you know, like actually a book. Yeah, I went to Barnes and Nobles. Right, yep. I went to exactly. Books a Million. And bought my little guide, you know, and yep. uh, and, and yep. that, that, and that thing dog-eared and written on, and yeah, for sure, for sure. So those things mattered, you know. You know what's? Uh, I you've been here so long, like, uh, <laughs> like thirty. I mean, thirty years in a place like that's almost a local. You do you find yourself like? Because I, I know you're you're originally from Philadelphia, right? Philly, yeah, yeah. I, you know, it's the longest I've been in any place in my life, mm-hmm. including Philly. I left Philly when I was in my early 20s. And, uh, you know, yeah, I have a deep, uh, deep and and an amazing connection with Miami. You know, I started a business here and raised a family here. And, uh, you know, I love this city. Uh, do I feel like a local? Sometimes, you know, it's sort of selectively, you know, depending on uh, the, 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 the scenario. But for a long time, you know, I defended moving to Miami to a bunch of colleagues uh, particularly chefs that were like, why are you going to Miami? And I'm like, I don't know. It seems like a good place. Nice weather, beautiful women, lots of opportunity. Uh, and a lot of those people that gave me a hard time back then have now since opened restaurants here. Right. So, you know, and, then, and as, as we all know, you know, like the world converged on Miami last year. And, right. uh, and I and so it's pretty funny to me, but uh, but I love it. I love Miami, and uh, I do sort of feel like a local, I guess. How did like Miami pioneer restaurant owners feel about the convergence? Have you guys? Do you guys have like a little chat group where you're like another New Yorkers coming? <laughs> yeah, we hate it. No, I, you know it's a double edged sword. I think in my years here, we've seen these sort of um, waves of out of town operators come. This obviously is the biggest one because, right. you know, if you remember back to last year, Miami was about the only place that was open. And right. so and so typically, you know, I think it's good for Miami. It, it's good for recognition and national and international exposure. And then the places that come and do it right are the ones that last and uh, and, you know, that reach out to the community or, you know, ask for advice from local operators or integrate into a neighborhood in a way that, you know, people in a neighborhood appreciate. And so we, you know, we've seen, like I said, many waves of this. Um, 
and this will settle down too. And as soon as all the people that moved here go through a hurricane season uh, and see how the business swings from high season to low season and how hot it gets and, you know, it'll shake out and it'll be all for the better. Just like Michelin, just like the influx of outside operators, I think, you know, but generally I would say, you know, the, the, the sentiment is another one. Another one, and not in a good way. Not in a DJ Khaled good way. Not in a DJ Khaled way. No. Yeah, come on. You know, you know what's funny is I was in the Grove um, the, before I left, maybe the couple of days before I left, and uh, and I went to eat at, at uh, your protege's restaurant, Michael Beltran's uh, area, yep. just because I was nearby. I was, you know, picking up some clothes or whatever, and I went into the Grove, and for the first time all year, I was able to find parking, like plenty of parking off street, and I was like, oh my god, the Grove is quiet. Did New York go home? Like, is well, that what it's, I find it pretty interesting lately. Like there was a someone flipped a switch. You know, I it, I think if we go back two three months ago, when we were just full on riding the wave, it was hard to figure out when you know it would slow down a little bit, like it typically does. Um, and I think everyone just had last summer in their rearview mirror, thinking you know that was a boom. Right. Uh, and it's been sort of quiet. The restaurants have softened a little bit, but I was driving around yesterday and just struck me like there's no traffic. There's right. I walked down Lincoln Road and it was like a ghost town. It was weird. Yeah, I, I had the same feeling in the Grove and it was like and it was not like a Tuesday night. It was, you know, I may have been may have been Wednesday. And so, like, you know, you see some people out there and I was like, well, look at all the parking that I have. And, uh, yeah, you know, good. Uh, so it was I mean, you know, I. If if y'all can handle it, I don't mind not <laughs> not, not, uh, not having to over, fight for a table. Tripping over a New Yorker every time I uh, go <laughs> to a right. restaurant. That's hey, so <laughs> you, you know, I I respect really. I mean, like I think that you are so connected with Miami in, in the way that, like, you really lived through the whole COVID thing. You know, it wasn't like you came in from New York and you opened a restaurant like in the middle of it once everybody had yeah. figured it out. Like you really, I think we talked early in the like within that first month, and you're like, man, I had to lay off everybody that I employ because like 480 people. Oh my God. Cause it's like, what are you going to do? Like I can't employ you well, and not have an income. Like how do I pay yeah. you? You know, you know, uh, I mean, I, I don't know if you know this or not, but you know, the restaurant business is like a penny business and we weren't yeah. sitting on a pile of cash right. and I would have loved to have not laid off anybody. Sure. But you know, we couldn't make rent. I couldn't pay myself. We didn't have a pile of cash. We, we came off a pretty big, sort of expansion run where, you know, over a course of two or three years, we opened six or seven restaurants and it was hard and we had to make hard decisions. But I will say through the pandemic, uh, we were lucky to be yeah. in Miami and we were allowed to be open and uh, compared to, you know, my colleagues in restaurants and 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 chefs around the country who are still just coming out of it. We take it for granted because we're here. But uh, I think that we were very fortunate. Yeah, we pivoted. We laid everyone off. We kept our executive team, a handful of people that are still with us. And we put the company back together. We lost a couple restaurants. But by and large, you know, we were good. And for a long time, I was reluctant to even tell my colleagues that, you know. And right. we would get on IRC calls, the Independent Restaurant Coalition calls. And they're sad. People crying. And people lost their business. And so... You know, knock on wood, we have been blessed 
and uh, you know, and and it's really from just from being in South Florida. Yeah, it, it's funny that uh, in early May I got COVID for the first time, like after sure. two plus years, and and I got to say it was very mild, like it was like seasonal allergies. Oh, good. Like, like seasonal, like I got the flu the next week, and that really knocked my knocked me on my ass. I got it bad. But I you, got it bad yeah, too. But I don't think you just mentioned it. So you're like, man, I got the COVID, and it's. Like I lost, but like my sense of taste was. Wait, weird. when did it's you not, get it, Michael? What so, what part well, of the? But I don't think I I've got ever it asked early on. I think I got it in around May, right of two thousand twenty, right? Oh, right so, in the beginning. Oh, yeah, that was so, terrifying. So maybe yeah, and and uh, it was not mild at all. And in fact, losing my sense of smell and taste was the least of my worries. Like breathing was a concern for me. I was going to say, because there was no vaccine in sight at that moment. You know, it was right when the vaccine came out. So it must have been. 2021. Yeah. 2021. I think that's, I think. Yeah, that's right. That's right. We started getting, we all started getting shots like April, May of 2021. I I had a, I had an appointment to get a vaccine and then I got COVID instead. And it kicked my ass for about three weeks. Wow. Um, and yeah, it was it was awful. But now, you know, and it's still the, the positivity rate's pretty high around here. But, you know, the symptoms are super mild, not like they were. So right. I and, got and it in you, April that, and it was bad. Yeah, <laughs> I got it you, this year. Mine was bad. No, was. not bad. It was lingering. That's what it was. Yep. Did you. So like I was telling me just at the, at the top, you know, like, you know, if you if you rely on your on your hands for a living, you know, and you can't use them all of a sudden. That's got to be terrifying. If you're a guy whose palate is like the basis for all the restaurants, that's got to be pretty scary. Um, it was pretty scary. But like I said, there were other things that were more terrifying to me, like having to go to the hospital or getting on a ventilator. So, right. you know, everything yeah. that I read, you know, people that lost their sense of smell and taste got it back. And I certainly did. Um, How long but, did that take for it, for it to come back? You know, I'm going to say a couple weeks. You know, and then uh, gradually it gets better and better. But um, that was not my biggest concern, I got to right. say. Wow. Yeah. So I, I didn't realize that you had had it so bad that you were you were like, man, this is scary. Pretty like, close. You know, I was doing that pull that uh, blood oxygen meter thing. Yep. That little and finger. My doctor's like, finger if meter. it goes one more tenth of a degree down, you're going to urgent care or emergency. Oh, no. wow. Yeah. And so, yeah, I was on a. I was on a, uh, what's it called? The thing that you, nebulizer. Right. Um, right. Yeah. It was, it was awful. But enough oh, about man. that. Because oh, man. Yeah. Seriously, enough hard. about that. No, but, but I, but you know, but you, in other words, like, like now we're on the other side of it and like you refurbish this restaurant. And by the way, Michael's Genuine looks like I went there, like I legitimately, I go to a restaurant. I don't tell anybody. I go with maybe a colleague or a friend yep. and we eat everything we can. And you, you like, as right we were in. I saw you as, at the end. Right. As we were finishing up, you were there with, with some colleagues yourself. Yep. And, um, and so I, so when I write, I can write with, you know, with objectivity to say that it was my favorite version of Michael's. Yeah. Like, well, thank like, you. I appreciate that. You know, you touched on it in the beginning of the podcast and it's, you know, it's nerve wracking when you, you know, it needed, it needed some love, you know, 15 years that restaurant got worked over and, uh, you know, it was time. So we made a bigger kitchen. Uh, we took some more space and we expanded, but whenever, you know, people are, people don't like change, you know, and I was really nervous about changing it and I knew I had to, and I felt good about direction and the design, but you never know. 
until you open the doors. Uh, I remember when we when we expanded our bar, we used to have a private dining room off to the side. And I remember it was, that. It was awful. It was Siberia, and no one liked to sit there. And then we blew it out, and we expanded the bar, and we did a whole thing. We were closed for a couple of weeks, and I remember reopening. And the first guy that came in when we reopened was the guy, the only guy I think that ever. He was like, "What happened to my room?" Oh, oh the only like, guy to ever use it. The only guy that wanted to sit back there. So, so and you never you know, forgot him. So, you know, what we tried to do is to maintain the integrity and the spirit and the feeling that you got when you went into Michael's Genuine. But as you know, you know, the neighborhood has evolved and I have evolved as we all have. And and so I wanted it to reflect a more current, um, you know, personality uh, of myself and my team and the neighborhood. And so it's still not a I wouldn't call it a fancy restaurant, but, you know, the, the decor and the furniture is new and it's a little bit elevated and there's a big indoor outdoor component that we love and the retractable roof. And so it's worked out great. And for us, the work that went into uh, the closing renovation and reopening was amazing. You know, we we retained our entire staff for the four months that we were closed. Uh, and we did a bunch of brainstorming, breakout sessions, focus groups, and then particularly the culinary team would convene every week here in my apartment. And we would talk about menu, food, suppliers, product, uh, and it really paid off. And I think that the food now at the restaurant, uh, you know, under uh, Bradley Heron and Dylan Wolf's leadership is better than ever. Um, and it's reflected in the in the environment, you know, and service and all those things. So well, what was it like for you to do that, to to kind of go back to the drawing board and like just, again, start cooking things again and experimenting and like, what if we add this flavor? What do we yeah. what if we do this? And and to do that again, like to do that the first time when you're opening, trying to get a restaurant, trying to get people to care about it. Fine. Yeah. But like to do it again, did you find it reinvigorating? Was it scary or was it? Yeah, all the things. Hmm. It was reinvigorating for me. I was very deeply involved in the process. Uh, and then post opening, really just dug in and spent about three months there, you know, in the kitchen working with the team. But the process, you know, is 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 anxiety ridden and nerve wracking because, yeah. you, you know, you just you don't want to screw up a good thing. You know, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. But um, so. You know, we tried to keep a good amount of the staple items from the menu and the spirit of how we plate things and not getting too precious and then introducing new things because we have a bigger space, We're able to spread out a little bit more prep area, uh, focus on a better um, pastry department and uh, and really um, sort of the craft behind uh, uh, cooking, you know, making things. Right. Uh, pickling things, uh, canning things. And so that's a big part of what we do now to build this larder, this arsenal of things that we can grab from uh, to complement dishes. So did, did you so, um, I'll go ahead, Amy? So I was just going to ask, since you you were you've been in the, the design district since it was a completely different animal from what it is today. What are the things you miss? about being like a pioneer from the days when you were first there that like just are no longer part of your experience in the design district today? 
Yeah, I, it's a great question. And the design district has changed so drastically. Uh, you know, and, and I didn't know. Like, I, the reason I picked the design district was it was affordable, it was accessible, and there was a couple square blocks that Craig Robbins, you know, took care of. And so that's why I opened. I would say the biggest, you know, what came to mind as soon as you asked the question was like, yeah, the rent. I missed the <laughs> rent back then. For sure. You know, well, you know, uh, you know Kendall's cheap. <laughs> exactly, exactly. So, you know, but I, I, I mean, I spent a good, well, I spent my whole career in, in Miami uh, activating neighborhoods, you know, starting not with Big Pink, but with Nemo. Nemo, right. Uh, right. You know, at Miles and I were partners then, and we opened a bunch of restaurants together. But Nemo was a neighborhood activator, I think. South of Fifth was not much going on at that time besides Joe's, and Amnesia was a club that was right next to us. But, um, yeah. and then in the design district. And so, you know, I'm, I love what's become of the design district. It is totally different. You know, Rolex occupies uh, what used to be our parking lot. And we used to have a, <laughs> you know, we used to have a plug in smoker out there. We'd be smoking our bacon and, and pastrami out there. And so, you know, I miss the old days, but um, I love what, what that's become. And they have done a great job in sort of activating uh, the neighborhood and not just with super high end luxury couture boutiques, but more interesting stuff and different activations. So it's been great. Do your, do your kids care about the restaurants? Do your kids care about restaurants? Do they care about yeah. picking it up and being in a part of it. And well, what remains to be seen, but I, I think that the best thing that I'm happy and most proud of, not most proud, but proud of is that they have a, a, a great, understanding and appreciation for food and travel. Uh, and they all have amazing palates. So I'll give you the rundown. My oldest, Ella, lives in New York. She's a, a art history major, and she works for a great, very eccentric international um, art gallerist as cool. an executive assistant, gets her to travel to Dubai and Italy and France, and she's just great. So she's the um, one person who got an art history degree and did something, and did something with profitable it. and and that's right with it. That's great. TPD, but oh, uh, man. well, she's with somebody that's a great mentor to her. And, awesome, and and it's been great. And then my middle Lua is an art school. I, I'll say an art school dropout. I'll proudly say an art school dropout. She was at the school, the Art Institute in Chicago. Uh, COVID oh, wow. happened. She didn't want to be a virtual learner and then just found a passion for baking. And she works at an amazing bakery. And and she she's the one that was the biggest surprise that's actually working in this business. Um, and it remains to be seen super creative. Uh, and, and then Harry, uh, you know, my son still lives here in Miami. Your drummer, uh, your, your drummer here. They're all they're all artsy or musical in some way. Yeah, they are. And he's a he's a way better drummer than he is a cook, but he's a pretty good cook. <laughs> uh, and he works at the pizzeria now and he just graduated high school and he's a giant six, four, two fifty, two sixty. Uh, and uh, and remains to be seen. He really wants to pursue music, uh, which he should. Um, cool. but you never know. So That's I cool. think that they all love restaurants. They all love dining out. They all have great palates. Um, so it's been fun. Your, your middle daughter, where, where's the bakery that she's working at? Is it in Chicago still? Or yeah, it it's here? in Chicago. It's called Floriol. Okay. And, uh, it's a small, they don't do any wholesale. It's just retail, but they're doing some amazing stuff and I'm happy. She's, you know, she's working there and 
she did a little stage here a couple of years ago with uh, True Loaf, which is one of my favorite bakeries. Oof, that's such a good yeah. bakery. So like, good. Does everybody, everybody sleeps on that bakery, bakery yep. on Thomas Trulovich's bakery? Yeah, you know, I, I mean, he pulled out of the wholesale game uh, mm-hmm. and is a, is, a, is a really interesting guy. But to me, some of the best uh, baked goods, not just in Miami, but anywhere. Anywhere, anywhere. Like, I think, I think, um, I I, th- I think it's about due that that he gets a little bit more national recognition. I think so. Yeah, yeah. he's uh, really he's good. interesting guy, great guy. Oh yeah. So what's that shirt that you're wearing? It says yes. Well, it's it, it's my yes shirt. I you know as you know I have a no shirt. A no shirt. <laughs> and uh, Do you have a maybe shirt. No, I don't have a maybe shirt, but I should probably <laughs> think about getting one. Um, but you know, it's just we have fun with shirts, and I used to get crazy stuff printed on shirts and wear them but you know i i I almost always wear a black t-shirt i saw your post so i put the yes shirt on uh (laughs) and uh you know but it's you know it's it's a yes day so when my team sees me in a yes shirt they all think about things that they need that they need to ask me they're all asking for raises and stuff oh that's funny it's in a mood to say yes they're gonna ask me on i need the week off Oh yep. man, that is so cool! I love that. I love that. Oh, boss is in a good mood. Outward yep. sign. Now, if he changes shirts after after the, the lunch rush, then you got a problem. That's you know, right. You know things are going downhill. Get to him early. I'm typically pretty uh, curmudgeon-y anyway, though. So people are used <laughs> to my. Uh, I think I'm a realist, but some people think I'm sort of negative. So no, but you've you've evolved because I remember the first times, a couple times that we talked, I was like, man, this guy's really like. He's a dour individual, but really, <laughs> it's just this deadpan. But you have also softened a little bit. Hey, you know what? I'm as happy as I've ever been. And <laughs> um, our business is, you know, thriving. Uh, we have less uh, restaurants and less employees, which is always fun because, you know, employees are like having kids. And when you have a couple hundred of them, it's difficult. It's a lot of uh, but, That's a lot you of know, kids. But, but to be in Miami and, and to be blessed and be you know, operating restaurants. And, you know, this is the first year in a long time that, and I think this has something to do with it, that we haven't been uh, opening a restaurant. And, uh, you feels know, good, opening, right? Feels good feels to just great. You know, we're just sort of, <laughs> I'll tell you why I love it too. I mean, opening a restaurant is supremely difficult uh, and it's gotten harder and harder with codes and stuff. But w- what it does for us really is gives us a chance now to dig in and and make our company better, and not just our restaurants. So we have projects and initiatives um, through a SmartSheet process uh, about being a better employee or about improving hospitality in our companies. And so these are like big, overarching, um, long-term projects that make us look at ourselves and to see what you know. W- what does it mean to operate a business? Um, and then how can we give back and how can we be an employer of choice? And that's been a real focus, uh, thanks to my business partner, Sunil Bhatt, in, in our company, right? Running it like a company with financial responsibility, fiscal, you know, um, um, sort of guardrails and hygiene. And then to look. And so this year we're really digging into at Michael's Genuine, what is great hospitality and everything that water falls down from that. And then as a, as a company, how could we be a better employer? Whether it's recognition or compensation or communication or community outreach. 
And so I, we're enjoying it. Now, you know, we'll, we'll get bored pretty quick. Uh, and so we will probably, you know, look to do something uh, next year. But this has been, you know, it's been a great sort of break. And, and so that's why I seem a little bit happier, maybe. That's cool. Hey, tell me about the original Harry's. I, I saw that it closed. Yeah. Closed, or it's not listed. What? What? I, l- let me guess. Rent. But no. So the the simple answer is, you know, that building has been slated for um, some sort of renovation or demolish for a there long time. And so when our lease ran up, we went on a month to month with uh, Dacra, with the understanding that they would give us plenty of time. To, to figure out if they, if they sold the building to develop. But in the meantime, you know, it's sort of falling apart, literally. Mm-hmm. And, you know, for us to reopen it. That, so, that was the charm of it. That was part of the charm, though. Well, <laughs> that yeah. It was falling apart. So, so I'll tell you that in December, if you remember, there was a, just a huge COVID wave going around. Yeah. And we couldn't staff our restaurants. And so we closed Harry's in the design district to pull people to put them in other restaurants temporarily. Mm. But knowing that reopening would have been very difficult unless we dumped a bunch of money into uh, the physical plant. And we didn't want to do that with no lease. Uh, So that's the sort of short answer. Um, uh, And so, you know, we have Harry's on Miami Beach, which is doing great. And the Grove is still killing it. Um, And so that's great. Yeah, no, I mean, honestly, like, I've been to the one in the Grove recently, and it and it's great. Like, it's yeah. it's the the pizza's perfect, and it's and it's funny. I didn't realize until I was doing some some homework when we were writing about the Miami Beach one that you had kind of that you had worked with Wolfgang Puck, who was really like the innovator, the first guy to say, "Let's let us put some other crazy things on this pizza." You know, yeah, like, he's uh, famous for the creme fresh smoked salmon and caviar pizza. Yeah, I worked for Wolf in the eighties. In fact. He wrote the forward to my pizza cookbook, cool. and he's been a friend ever since I worked for him. And I have nothing but admiration and respect for that guy. He's the hardest working. You know, I was in L.A. a few years ago, pre-pandemic, for a charity event that we do all the time. Uh, and and we, you know, I took my my culinary director to Spago, and went in, and we had lunch, made made a reservation. Wolf was there working. That's took our amazing. menus from the table. I got you back in the kitchen, running food out to our table. I was just like, you know, it was it was amazing to watch. So he he was a big inspiration for me in many ways. I only worked in his restaurant for one year, but it was at a time when he only had a couple restaurants, okay. and uh, and the connections that I made and the people that I met and the the inspiration that it provided me for the rest of my life is. Well, is yeah. Well, I find that that the that the folks who make owning a restaurant and running it like central to their lives, like it's a thing that they just enjoy, are the people that do it the best. Like I was thinking of the late Nino Pernetti, who died yep. uh, a couple weeks ago, and he was a guy that everybody liked to go to the restaurant when he was there, and he liked to be there. He yep. was at every table every night, and and you can say whatever you want because people are like, oh, the cuisine was a little tired and whatever, maybe, but it was always. It was always a good meal. He you was, went there because of yes, him. You went there because of him. The experience. And he made it good. Yeah. yeah. You know, I, it's it's a component to – you're right. I mean the restaurant business is really interesting and the people that succeed in it, you know, all have something in common. But the, I, I, it was always for me like the whole holistic experience of a restaurant 
Uh, and I often said, as a, as a chef, that the food wasn't the most, it's not the most important thing. Food needs to be good, but if everything else is not clicking for you, then it's not a memorable experience, no matter how good the food is. So, you know, what we try to do is offer, you know, an experience. Uh, and it's what you're listening to and what you see and how you feel and the things that, that the staff says to you or don't say to you. So so when you go out for, what, like when you dine out, like who's who do you think is doing it right in Miami? Like where do you go when you want to have an experience like that? <laughs> Carlos is laughing. You could just name yeah. a few people. You don't have to no, go. You know, we, we do go out. Um, you know, my girlfriend and I go out and sometimes we go out with friends and there's restaurants that we like. Um, you know, a lot of them were just recognized. Um, I don't get to Ariette much, but he's a, you know, he's a friend and he used to work for me. And uh, Stubborn Seed is my girlfriend's favorite restaurant. Uh, we love to go to Boyade if we could ever get in. Uh, and, and, you know, we and, and uh, so we're around the city, you know, often. And and I think for me, I've been able to over the years compartmentalize and just go to a restaurant and try to appreciate it instead of just, you know, picking it apart or noticing every detail. And, yeah, take it and for the same for, Yeah. Well, the same for when I go to my own restaurants, you know, I mean, I'm always looking at details, but try to at least be in the moment and enjoy the meal. And then I could recap it and send an email and you know, yell at somebody. So like, what does a chef do when you go into a restaurant and, and like everybody knows who you are and you're like, this is awful. Yeah. It's, uh, you know, <laughs> it's pretty funny because like sometimes I feel like that, like I'm in a fishbowl, <laughs> but to be honest with you, I'm just grateful and, and appreciative of it. Um, but you know, some, some big time chefs and I'm not a big time chef, but some big time chefs, will call ahead and make sure that the chef doesn't send anything out, you know, because sometimes you just get bombarded. And if you want to just have a healthy meal or you're not eating, you know, gluten or sugar, and then it's, you know, it's, it becomes about the chef. You feel rude. Yeah. You, you feel rude thing. Please. I'm good. So, yes, but I, I just but, want, I want a light meal today. I don't want, want 17 courses. <laughs> exactly. Let's send them dessert. No, I, <laughs> I don't want I would today. never it's order Tuesday. dessert in a restaurant. Never. Really? But, but if you put it in front of me, you I would destroy it. the whole thing, <laughs> and, which is why I never order it. So, you know, I, so it's fun to be recognized. Uh, mostly it's really great. Sometimes it's kind of annoying uh, when you just want to, you know, it depends if you're in a bad mood or you're having a bad day or. Yeah. Yeah. But That's it's mostly what, that, great. I, I will say I've had I've had an experience. You know, I'm not anonymous, so to speak, like because that went out the window like 10 years ago. Like everybody right. knows who everybody is. But there's some nights where I just want to go to a place and have a glass of wine and have one thing, one little thing. And yep. it becomes a, a two thing, and a half, two and a half hour thing. And it's like and honestly, I end up ordering takeout a lot. I just on those days because you don't want to do that. Because I don't want to do that. And then what do that. you say? You'd be that guy. And it's you like, can't no, be that don't guy. send me anything. No, no, you, you're can't. The, you know, then you're that guy. Yeah, you can't be that guy. Don't but you know what? This is the total first world problems. Yeah, these are first world problems. These are a hundred percent first world. But first I world get it, man. Problems. When I go out, to, well, people don't send me plates and plates and plates. But I because you got the uh, white girl stomach, they, they know that <laughs> they know better. You'll, you'll ruin their bathrooms. They don't want that. 
I'll explode. But like, you know. <laughs> wow. <laughs> yeah. Carlos, Carlos is getting a little too intimate right now well, with my stomach. Amy but knows. no, I, I think that if you um if you overfeed people, it, the experience could be just as tragic. Yes. Yeah, yes. yeah. I you know, it's the worst feeling leaving a, a restaurant where you just got destroyed. You just you ate wanna, too much. Die. Yep. Uh, you know, and it happens all the time. Yep. So listen, I know you're busy and you're you're handling big guy big, big chef foods, but before we let you go, we we have to make you play our game. You you have okay. to play our our food kiss Mary kill. Okay. So we're going to and we're just going to treat you Miami because you're you're now a Miami guy. I don't care if okay. you're from Philly, you're a Miami guy. <laughs> all right. So from so Carlos I, Frios, I am a Miami guy. You are absolutely you. a Miami guy. So I if you if you go to a ventanita, you're going to have uh-huh. pastelitos, croquetas, and cafecito. Which one are you kissing? Which one are you marrying? And which one are you killing right off the bat? I'm not that Miami. Uh, yeah, oh. It's a good one. It's a good one. I I mean, I'm going to sound like a tool bag right now. <laughs> it's okay. There are no wrong answers. There's no wrong game. answers. There's no well, wrong I, answers. You know, I'm a, so I'm a coffee snob, right? Okay. I mean, I'm, I'm very specific about coffee, right? And I typically drink espresso with no sugar, mm-hmm. right? And so, but if you drink a cafecito with no sugar, it's you might as well kill of, yourself. Just kill yourself. Exactly. So that could be the kill. Although I love coffee, yeah. um, so, I'm going to kill the pastelito. Wow. Okay. I'm okay. going to kiss the coffee, and I'm going to marry the croquette. All right. See, I that's approve. that's approve. a that's a very Miami-approved answer. The croquette that is, is very always approved. yeah. Yeah, that's, you know, because of my affinity for sweets, you know, I'm never going to, you know, anyway, <laughs> I'm going to go with that. I don't know how I did. Don't no, judge. You, you did great. The people great. will decide. I'm sure the people, the people love it. <laughs> people will decide. People <laughs> will have an opinion. They'll just write it on the back of their checks. Uh, we, yeah, pastelitos <laughs> forever. You suck. You suck, People Michael. have an opinion. How dare you? Exactly. exactly. If people didn't have an opinion... I would not. I'm gonna get you a T-shirt that says "Kill Pastelitos Now." Oh man, that would be. <laughs> yes. Can you imagine? Yes, just that would be shirt. very controversial. Kill Pastelitos. Yeah. It would really, like really be, really be starting something. We gotta send them three. Um, <laughs> when they'll just say "Merry Croquetas," and that'll be the day. He'll just walk into work go. wearing his "Merry Croquetas." <laughs> that would get you so much love in Miami. Think about it. I'm just saying. I, I, you I'll know, give, all, all the things free. I do, all, all everything I do is keeping in mind that I just want to be loved. <laughs> you know don't we just all just feed us your good food and show us your love Michael that's, exactly, that's, all, that's exactly. all Miami wants it's, from you it's a big love fest <laughs> well we are we are very lucky to have you in this city kind of pioneering and leading the way and giving us great that. giving us great food top to bottom I mean from hey right back at or? you you know keep up the great work and uh, you know like I said you're, you make us proud and help shine a light on the good things that happen here in Miami and uh Appreciate you. And Amy, you're all right, too. Thanks. <laughs> Thanks. Come all right. Bring more stuff to Kendall. That's all I, uh, that's all yes. I have to say. More stuff I'm, in Kendall. Yeah. No. Less restaurants. I'm going to open <laughs> less restaurants and be happy. Enjoy my life. You know, I'm too, getting too old for this stuff, man. It's a young man's game. He's self-actualized, Amy. Let him do it. <laughs> Let him be. Let him live his best life. <laughs> all right, Michael. Thanks again for making all the time, buddy. Appreciate you guys. Cheers. Take care, man. Yeah, he's been well, he's, he's been through the thing, man. He's done yeah, the he whole has. he's been done the whole thing. 
Yeah. Like you go back and you look at pictures of him when he was young and he had his black hair and, and he's got like that look, that stern. I'm telling you, he has softened because I think if, if you work for this man when he was young and trying to make a name for himself. He like was taking he, no nonsense none, from any of you. None. That could not mm -hmm. have been a lot of fun. But uh, but look at the people that he, you know, Neven Patel worked for him. Mm -hmm. Like that's where Neven got really, not, not got to start because Neven worked for some other guys, but really like. He went from Michael's to opening his restaurant. Uh, Michael Beltran went from Michael's to opening Ariette. Uh, and I want to say they both worked at the Cypress Room, which was this ultra fancy, really like, he was trying to do something that Miami wasn't ready for. Michael Michael Schwartz, uh, Miami wasn't ready for at the time. But like if he opened it today, I think it would be one of those Michelin. I, I think it would have been a one or a two star Michelin restaurant if he, if he was doing the Cypress Room today. Um, but like he breeds this whole generation of young chefs. Hetty Goldsmith was his, mm -hmm. was his pastry chef, you know, and, and she is just, she's just a star in her own right. As much as he says he doesn't like dessert, you know, he, he gave us like the dessert queen. Mm -hmm. Um, so. Well, he is a treasure and we need to value him. He really is. Amy, you know what this feels like? Feels like a show. It feels like <laughs> a show. But parting shot, Zach the Baker, who was a finalist for a James Beard Award. He did not win, but you should follow his Instagram because he was like the most gracious. Like, I learned some things and I'm coming home to do uh, other cool things. And I and love I really Zach. and I love that that like he's a good I'm guy. Happy to be there. Good guy. He deserves it. So he doesn't uh, need a James Beard Award. His bread is the bomb. That's right. He's got his a James Bread. bread James Bread Award. Yeah, he's got a James Bread Award. Amy, we'll do it again next week. This was fun. All right. Well, I'm glad you had such a lovely weekend. I'm going to enjoy the rest of the week. Much success to you, Carlos. You are you are our golden child. You make us so proud. Shut up. Stop talking. <laughs> <laughs> Bye. Bye. Jesus. Jesus.